Hey, it's a beautiful day. I want to thank you for being here. I want to welcome our church online. And it's really exciting when we see people who are typically part of our church online. You're here in person today. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for joining, like online, in person, up from California, hanging out. God bless you. I'm glad you're here. It's a beautiful day to celebrate and a beautiful day to kind of capture this opportunity like millions of people all over the world on Sunday morning. I take comfort in the fact that we all gather to declare Jesus Christ as Lord, to say that he's worth our time to put him on the throne of our life and to worship him together as a community, as part of his church. So thank you so much for being here. Um, when Heather and I decided and, and responded to what I believe is God's call in our life to uh, pursue investing in churches in the Northwest, we didn't know exactly what that meant, but it meant like at that moment, we were to leave Washington, move to Oregon, and help start Dallas Church uh, 10 years ago. No, 15 years ago. Um, and then wherever that led is where it led, but we didn't know where it was going to lead. But part of that process of us, was, uh, of us responding to God's call was being equipped and um, being, uh, uh, surrounding ourselves with support and encouragement and wisdom and some honest reflection into ourselves. Like, are we equipped to do this? Part of that process was what they call a church planter assessment. And that church planter assessment took months to do. Uh, over a series of months, Heather and I took these uh, personality profile tests. And because I was also serving on the board of the church planting organization, uh, to help plant churches all around the Pacific Northwest. They used me as a guinea pig to try out a new assessment system. So I actually took 11 different personality profile strengths finders tests. And you ever, has anyone ever done that? You've, you kind of go and you find, okay, what kind of, there's, there's all these things. What kind of dog am I? I'm a golden retriever slash pit bull or what kind of like, and then there's the Myers-Briggs and what type of personality are you? And then there's the introvert, extrovert, and then there's the love languages to find out your love language. And like all these things, Strengths Finder, which is one of the great ones, like all these things that help you do some self-reflection. Well, we did that and it was very much a self-reflection, but we are inviting experts to speak into it as well. So we had uh, two different groups of psychologists look at our results. We had phone interviews that we did with people. And then we went and we, took a, we spent a four-day getaway at a retreat center with three other church planting couples from around the country. And it was a very invasive, intrusive, uncomfortable process. And I'll give you an idea. One of the questions that they had us had for us was, and it was all in the spirit of love and care, and it was beautiful. And, and it was just with us and another couple that we felt very close to, uh, some of the church plant, George and Dottie Johnson, some of the church planting gurus in the region. One of the questions that they asked us is, what is your biggest regret in life? And don't sugarcoat it. It's like, whoa. Like, I don't even want to talk about that when it's only me in the room, you know? And, uh, and Heather and I both did. We just, the, the beauty of it, Heather and I had the type of relationship where we had already, we already talked about this. There was no secrets revealed to each other, but it was looking at each other, going, are we okay sharing this here? And but it's a really beautiful process. But part of what I learned about myself and, and kind of put into words some of the things that, you know, at that point, 40 years of life had taught me and, or that I've adapted to. Uh, one of the things that is very clear is that I'm a visionary leader. And, and that means that I, I envision the preferred future and I actually feel what it could feel like. So there's a sense of commitment and conviction and experience with the preferred future of the way of where we're going. 
But that also means that I look at the present and even the smallest task I look at and I say, how is that going to impact the preferred future? And it can be some of the silliest things where I go, man, if that doesn't change, we'll never achieve the preferred future. And so in, in that context, as I'm, as I'm leading people, and part of it is like this, the love that I have for people and I want the preferred future for people is I try to find and see people's place in this preferred future. And, and so we have the discovery workshop. We help people find their, their spiritual gifts and their purpose and, and how can they advance. Because I believe the preferred future I see for our church is also part of God's kingdom to come. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. And when I look and I see those things, and, and, and there's this, in my darker days, there's this conflict within myself where I start to look at the way things are. And because it's not the way things ought to be, I get all knotted up inside. And I can, if I, if I lose sight of the hope of the way things ought to be, and I just focus on the way things are, I just look at the the ways were not yet there, and I can obsess about them, try to over-control them, uh, and it leads to this anxiety and this like separation from God's hope and God's preferred future. And I think that, I mean, just a side note, you, can, you could like place that on the human condition and human existence, right? We know that there's something better and we know this isn't it. And us dealing with that is called life. It's called suffering. It's called faithfulness. It's called endurance. It's called all of that. It's just dealing with that until heaven. But in the context of our church, when I look around, one of my biggest fears and one of my biggest struggles is uh, I believe that we are to arrive or go on the journey as a church community together. And one of my biggest fears is that people will be so um, disgusted that we're not there yet. They'll find the thing that we're not there yet and they won't remain faithful and they won't remain present to help us continue to work on those things that were not yet there, and then we'll, they'll leave. And then we'll never experience this preferred future together. And if I get wrapped up in that as a leader, uh, that can cause me to really, uh, like I said, panic and over control. And, and then in the context of being a pastor, you just overlay being a pastor. And the nature of that is that when people have problems, I want to help them and I want to be a part of the solution because I believe Jesus is, is, is the answer to, to becoming healthy in many ways. Uh, but I can get enmeshed in people's problems. And then that's an even further spiral away from the vision of the preferred future being my hope and my encouragement. And what that enmeshment means is that I didn't set healthy boundaries. I didn't set healthy boundaries. And those people that I would call uh, friends, like Jesus did in this passage, like those people I would call friends, and they feel like friends, it's those people that are committed to enduring the fact that we're not yet there and doing their part to make it better 
so we can experience the preferred future. And those people that partner with me in that, that feels to me like friendship because we have a shared mission, a shared understanding, a shared knowledge of where we're going, and a shared understanding is that we're not yet there and not being repelled by the fact that we're not yet there. That feels like friendship to me. Now, we also have those who come and and they're part of our community, they're part of God's church, they're part of the Christian world, and they are in a state where they just need to be ministered to. And that's okay too. But I have to separate and say, but those aren't my friends. And I don't mean that negatively. I just say, I have friends and I have ministry. And I want to go deep with this today and give you the freedom to look at the world and look at the people around you, look at your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. And you can put them in those categories. Is, Is this a friend or is this ministry? That's the direction we're going today in this series called Friending. One of the reasons why we wanted to address this series of friending is that we can't deny that this pandemic has had an impact on our relationships. Social distancing has become emotional distancing. 54% a survey from May 2021, 54% of the people said that they are generally further away in their relationships across the board than they were before the pandemic. And the reason why we want to address this now is I believe this is the perfect opportunity for us to intentionally re-engage in building friendships, but let's do it in a way that's healthy and can sustain. Instead of taking, just going towards those friendships of convenience. Because I think going through friend, you know, having friendships of convenience can lead to toxicity can lead to unhealthy friendships. But if we can equip each other and be intentional, what does the Bible say about healthy friendships? The first week in this series, we talked about empathy and how that is the heart of what agape love is, the way God loves us and calls us friends, is what we can do to love our friends with that heart. Last week, we talked about forgiveness, and being forgivers is the essence of what makes us have any belonging to anyone. God says it himself. He says, I will, these will be my people. I will put my word on their heart, and I will forgive them. That will be the definition of who my people are. So the, our relationship with God is rooted in forgiveness, and that is what we are called to do in our friendships, to root that open-handedness of forgiveness in our friendships. And then we're going to look at Jesus today, and the third thing is beautiful boundaries. Beautiful boundaries create healthy friendships. All right, let's pray and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you that you have these examples of, of your life, Jesus, where you, you uh, created healthy boundaries and you created space and you were a model for us that gives us freedom to do the same. Teach us and speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's an idea. You can't say yes to something unless you have the ability to say no. And sometimes in our relationships, we don't feel like we have the freedom to say no in a relationship. And I'm going to say this a couple times because I want you to remember it. But here's the, here's the, the one-liner. If you are in a relationship that requires you to cease loving yourself in order to... No, requires a love of you that makes you cease loving yourself. You need to set a beautiful boundary. If a relationship 
I'm going to read this because I'm butchering it, and I wrote it down, and it's really good. Yeah. If someone demands a love from you that causes you to cease to act in love towards yourself, that's way better, isn't it? Yeah. If someone demands a love from you that causes you to cease to act in love towards yourself, you need a beautiful boundary. And when I say love, I'm not talking about feelings of, of affection and, and liking you and, and, you know, gooey goo. I'm just talking about acts of love. If you are in a relationship and I've been there, or I've been in a room full of people accusing me of something and I know I didn't do it, I'm absolutely sure I didn't do it, but the temptation is to roll over and just pretend I did it and completely betray myself for the sake of peace. But that environment isn't one of love. So my boundary is, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take the criticism. I'm going to take the condemnation because I didn't do the thing. I'm not going to pretend I did the thing. Right? And there's a difference here. So it, there's a, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. The peacemakers. I think that's beautiful. But I think there's a distinction between peacekeepers and peacemakers. Peacemakers stand for truth. Peacekeepers will roll over for the sake of peace, for the sake of a lack of conflict. I would argue you could say cursed are the peacekeepers <laughs> because they elevate lack of conflict over truth. Peacekeepers stand for truth and are gracious and kind and invite people to truth to be unified in truth. Blessed are the peacemakers. And here's what I want. I want to give you the freedom today. I want to give you the freedom to set boundaries, to set guardrails. Because sometimes we receive this Christian narrative that we're supposed to turn the other cheek, that we're supposed to, if someone asks us of our, of our coat, we give them our shirt too. Uh, and basically, if you buy into that theology, we talked about this in the forgiveness sermon, like you can just become a martyr and a doormat for people because you're a Christian and you're supposed to avoid conflict and let people take advantage of you. But that's not true at all. That's a complete misunderstanding of what it means to love. To, you don't abandon truth to love. And I've seen this so many times in the Christian church. That people are, who are in an unhealthy or abusive marriage have told me, well, I made a covenant. It's my lot in life. I disagree with that. I fundamentally disagree. And, and I'm not saying that when things get hard and you, your, your spouse has flaws that you run away. But I'm saying in, in, in a relationship that is abusive and manipulative, you are not stuck. God doesn't want that for any of us. And I could back that up with not only scripture, but an entire theology. The argument for that is one scripture taken out of context. And it's bad. You have the freedom to set healthy boundaries. You have the freedom to advocate for yourself and stand up for yourself. And if you look at everything in nature has boundaries, there's boundaries, everything like, uh, you know, on the roads, they have lines and guardrails and, and a cell has a membrane that protects it from the things around it. We wear clothes, right? We create 
boundaries. There's healthy boundaries that we say there's something vulnerable that needs to be protected. There's something that's out of its element that needs a shell. There's something that if it doesn't have this boundary, it's going to fall apart. Like, boundaries exist, and they're good, and they're healthy. And that's the same way I want us to think about these boundaries for ourselves and in our friendships. Something that creates a healthy separation to protect our limits and vulnerabilities because we are limited. We have 24 hours a day. We have so many resources. We have so much emotional energy. We have so much capacity. And then we run out. And setting boundaries is an act of discernment, stewardship, humility, to acknowledge that you're not the savior. Nobody needs you to hang on a cross for them. Nobody. We get to point people that Jesus already did and let Jesus do the healing. We're never the healer. We're never the cure giver. We're the caregiver. We're never the cure giver. And it's important that we embrace that and set those boundaries. And, and those of us who are raised in a church that had this martyrdom theology, uh, which is part of my, my and I, I say raised as if my parents put me there. No, I was going to churches that were teaching me this, like, uh, or at least that's what I thought I heard. <laughs> Um, but it kind of created this self, uh, self-loathing almost, this I am worthless, I am just here to be used, and somehow God will be glorified if I let people use me. And so I just want to emphasize that that is not the right theology, it is not as God's heart, and it's nowhere reflected in the narrative of what Scripture is. In scripture, we see Jesus as the perfect human, an example of a healthy person. He had all the needs of man, and he set healthy boundaries. You could look in scripture, you could see where he sought and maintained his friends in Matthew 26. He made time for solitude in Luke 6. He knew how to fill his tank up, and he never seemed in a hurry. Oftentimes when I ask someone how they're doing, they tell me, well, I've been busy. As if somehow that's a way to say good or project that everything's okay. Busy isn't the normal state. Jesus was never in a hurry. He lived with room, with margin, with time. Sometimes he said hard things to people and he confronted people when they were wrong. He modeled speaking the truth in love and he was present in key moments. Which to be present in a key moment means you have to set a boundary for other things and get them out. There's two boundaries that we used to have in our culture that are gone right now. Those two boundaries are time and space. We used to have these boundaries before we had our smartphones. We had boundaries of time and space where I could go to work and I couldn't be immediately interrupted by something at home. And when I was at home, I couldn't be reached by work. Now, those of you who are under 30 think I'm talking about this fairy tale land that existed, but that was the norm. And we talked about a work-life balance because we could control the boundaries of space and time. Now, we're available all the time, and it doesn't matter what space you're in. We have working from home, working remote, working mobile. Like, I'm not saying that's horrible. We just have our, we just, those boundaries are gone, and so we have to put up new boundaries. And I think we're going to look back at time and go, there was a generation of people trying to navigate this new world of no boundaries. We'll be on the other side of it. We'll figure out some healthy rhythms. But I think we're in this limbo state where we're trying to figure that out. 
We have no phone zones in our home. The dinner table's on no phone zone. And I'm learning that I need more no phone zones in my life. Because I find myself just longing to have dinner all the time. <laughs> to be present in the moment by creating boundaries. There's boundaries. Proverbs have boundaries. Proverbs talks about boundaries. Uh, boundaries in relationships and, and protecting your time. It says, uh, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Right? Don't overstay. Don't assume. Don't, don't uh, disrespect other people's boundaries. Proverbs 26.4, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. One article states this. It's in Psychology Today. A person with healthy boundaries takes responsibility for his, li- his own life and allows others to live theirs. The goal of boundaries is to make sacrifices for people when appropriate, but never in a destructive manner. We should be available for people in crisis, but unavailable to indulgent demands. Being gracious is not a blank check for others to continually drain our emotional account. Saying yes out of fear of rejection is really a selfish motive for being kind. Being kind in order to gain someone's favor smacks of hypocrisy and shows a need for boundaries. Boom. I'm going to say it again. If someone demands a love from you that causes you to cease and act in love for yourself, you need beautiful boundaries. And I'm going to give you a tool set to use. I'm going to give you freedom to do something that maybe you don't feel is right. How's that? I'm going to ask you to categorize the people in your life. Family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, categorize them into one of two categories. And before you say, I can't categorize, I'm going to show you how Jesus did it himself, okay? So, people are either friends or they're ministry. And what I love about that is it gives us this way to look at people in a way where our response to them is still love. But you know what the difference between the two is? Expectations. What do I expect in return? There are people in your family and in your life that are ministry, that you're going to love them and serve them and be kind to them, but you're going to do it because it is your ministry. You're going to do it out of a heart of love. But when we think of how to serve someone in a heart of ministry, it puts us in a Christ-like heart, like we're doing something for them. And with that comes natural boundaries. It says, I'm going to minister to someone, but I'm not going to sacrifice my family for them. You know, one of the saddest conversations I've had in a long time was with a pastor friend of mine about maybe eight or nine years ago. And his family was falling apart. And his wife called me and asked for help. And so I took my friend out for lunch and I said, hey, what's going on? Your family, your kids are getting in trouble. Your wife is feeling neglected. You're never home. And he said this to me. He said, I have decided to dedicate my life to the church and I'm trusting God with my family. And that, that's the lane that he chose. And, and boy, a righteous anger came over me because what he had chosen to do is abdicate his first mission, his first ministry, and run away from his first ministry for the sake of his career. His first ministry, the first covenant he made 
on earth after following Jesus was to submit to and love and support his wife and present her to God as a radiant light. Dressed in white linen. Like this beautiful picture of marriage. And then he responds to God's call by being fruitful and multiplying and having children. And that covenant that he enters in raising his children in God's ways, he abandons. God does not need us to martyr ourselves. God does not need us to hang on a cross. Jesus already did it. So we can set these healthy boundaries, friendship or ministry. And I'm going to show you how Jesus discerned between the two. We're going to contrast two verses, one at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and one at the end. John chapter 2, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus, this is 2, 23 through 25. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was with the people and he was doing miracles. Miracles happened. And then it says that the people saw the miracles and they believed that he was the Messiah. They believed in him. And then it says something very interesting. John 2, 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. He didn't entrust himself to them. What does that mean? They were, they were believing because of the signs. They believed in his name because of the signs. So they were believing in Jesus because of what they saw and what they got out of him. That he does miracles, so I'm going to believe in him. And Jesus did not entrust himself to them. He did not expect their declaration of him as the Messiah, as him as, well, they believed in his name, right? They, he didn't receive that. Because it was based on his performance and what he did for them. He, didn't he didn't, basically didn't believe them. When they said they believed in him, he said, well, I don't, I don't believe that you believe in me. Because the only reason you believe in me is because I did miracles. I'm just going to draw the point here. If you have a relationship in your life, a friendship in your life, where it's based on what you do for somebody. And that's it. That's ministry. It's not a friend. That's ministry. And you can love and serve and, and be kind, but protecting your friendship heart, not entrusting yourself to them, is healthy. It's good. Jesus did it. It's good. Because it frees you up to learn, love and serve without expecting anything in return. Something that you would expect from a friend. Let's contrast this to the end of, John's, or the end of Jesus' ministry in the book of John, John 15, towards the end. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, this is in the context of the parable of the vine and the branches. And it's saying, as long as you stay connected to the vine, you're going to get the nourishment to produce fruit. And reality is, if you cut off from the vine, you won't have the nourishment to produce fruit. And that's, so this isn't a, we can't look at it the other way and say, in order to, uh, we can't just say it's a performance-based thing, that we work hard to connect to the vine and therefore we'll 
produce fruit. It is if we remain in the vine. Remember how I talked about in the church is those who remain with me during this time of pruning and this time of building and growing as we, we're not yet who we're going to be, but we are who we are. And those who remain with me through that process feels like friendship, feels like partnership, right? And so he's talking about the, the, those who remain in him and remain connected to the vine. Verse eight, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll be, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These I have spoken to you that joy may be in you. It's, he's, he's not saying, I'm telling you this so you can earn your salvation. He's I'm telling you the reality of how to receive joy all the time. To receive joy is by connecting to me, and you'll find that the fruit comes. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have, been made, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Your fruit should remain and continue so that whatever you ask in the Father's name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Those he calls friends, no longer servants, it's because after three years of life together, we're on the same mission. You have endured with me. You have remained with me during this season of trials and struggles and lots of walking and lots of miracles and lots of ministry, lots of persecution. You have remained with me. And now we share. You have the knowledge that my father gave me in a hope for the preferred future. And we share in this together. And because you have proven yourself to share in that purpose with me, I call you friends. I would argue up until that point, they were ministry. They were on the process of being friends, in the process of becoming friends. And you could say that is the essence of the purpose of a church, right? We want to invite and include people to be ministered to and to be shaped by the love of Jesus. And what happens is as they stay connected to the vine, they become closer to Jesus and they start to adopt his purposes for their life. And we all become friends of Jesus together. And like I said, as a pastor, my fear is and where I get wrapped around the axle and when I have my dark days... It's because I get so focused on the people that aren't abiding and enduring that it eats me up. And then the temptation is to chase those people that aren't abiding and lower my boundaries and, and compromise and, and mesh. But the hope of the future, being a friend with Jesus is more important than people being a friend with me. That gives me my hope and my conviction, and my purpose. The greatest commandment in Mark 12, the greatest commandment, the spiritual leaders asked Jesus to try to trap him or trick him or, or to see how, make sure he answered it right. He says, which commandment is the most of all, most important of all? Jesus answered, the most is this. Most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I think sometimes as Christians, we read that as you should love your neighbor at the expense of yourself. I think sometimes we read it that way. And that is not what he's saying. You love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to read this again. If someone demands a love from you that causes you to cease to act in love towards yourself, you need a beautiful boundary to love your neighbor as yourself. And in so doing, you're inviting them to a preferred future. You're inviting them to join you as you join Jesus, which is the best friendships to have. Now is the time for us to be very intentional about establishing healthy friendships, a new way to be friends. Something that's rooted in health and, and friends that help us grow and friends that don't lead us into toxicity or lead us into disobedience, immorality. Friends of convenience are usually the wrong friends, but that's the friends that most of us have. We have friends that we happen to be in the same class with. We have friends that we happen to be in, in the same workplace with. We share a cubicle with them. We share an office with them. We ride together somewhere. They're friends of convenience. Maybe some of your friends of convenience, you could still have a relationship with them, but maybe they're ministry. Maybe you don't get frustrated when they don't reciprocate kindness because you're not expecting them to because they're not your friend. Next week, we're going to talk about what happens when a friend doesn't reciprocate kindness and the power of healthy conflict. That is the fourth key to healthy friendships. So I want to give you freedom today to look at the people in your world and go through an intentional process. Are they friends or are they ministry? And remember, the beauty of those two categories is that your heart posture towards them is love and kindness. It's not condemnation. It's not reducing someone to someone else. It's creating a boundary in your heart where you can be strong and be able to really minister to someone out of a position of strength when you expect nothing back from them. Where this gets difficult is when you have family relationships that have assumed cultural built-in expectations, but they're not friends. This is called being a parent of a teenager. <laughs> right? They're learning what it means to have boundaries and friendship. They're learning what faithfulness and loyalty means. They're, they're navigating these emotions that they feel where everything's wrong and nothing is right and is real and meaningful to them. They're your child and they're your ministry, but they're not your friend. And if you can navigate that well, let me tell you the beautiful thing is when they're 25 and 23 and 21 and you look around your life and you realize, those are my closest friends, my children. But they weren't when they were teenagers. They were ministry. And I love them and I serve them. And I didn't expect that back from them because they were growing. It's beautiful. I wish I would have thought that for the first service because that's a good point. The children thing. That's good. I'll have to call everyone who's at first service and say, hey, I thought of something else. <laughs> All right. 
I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And, and what, I, what I would love us to do during this time of worship is to honestly thank Jesus with a worshipful heart that he calls us friends. And, and I don't want to assume that he calls you friend. Like, like, I don't want to draw that conclusion. If you are in a relationship with Jesus where you don't feel like you're on board with the mission of him and his church, it's okay. He will minister to you. He will love you. He will be, he will be there for you. His never-ending love. He'll be your friend. And as you grow in that, you will realize, wow, I am becoming his friend. But you're not his friend until you share in the purpose. When you share in the knowledge of what he has, that he has given you. To live for him and his purposes. This is what it means to be baptized. To say, I want to follow Jesus with my life. And the Baptist says, I want to be a friend with Jesus. I want to join in his mission and his purpose. We're having baptisms two Sundays this, this, this month. You're going to be invited out to our house to hang out at the river, and people are going to be celebrating baptisms next week and two weeks after that, after church. We celebrate that as a church. We have six people that want to be baptized, and we celebrate that. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah, I do that. I clap. So... Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for just this freedom that you give us to love ourselves, to set up boundaries that people don't want to hear, that people may not like, that people may push back against. People may choose rejection when we set up boundaries, but God, let us not betray ourselves. Let us not roll over. Let us not admit to something that we didn't do, but let us not shy away from owning our mistakes. But let us learn how to love our neighbors as ourselves. Teach us how to love ourselves in a way that is not self-serving or self-focused, but that protects us and, and, and acknowledges our limitations acknowledges that we have a certain role in the world and that role is not savior. It is friend. It is minister. It is caregiver. It is a source of kindness. But we trust you to save those that we love. Help us to be the types of people that love them into the truth of a healthy relationship with you. Father, we worship you today as our God and our King. And those of us who are all in with you and your purpose, we call you friend. And I thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us. I thank you for being a constant presence of, of encouragement and hope and equipping and comforting and forgiving and directing and correcting. In Jesus' name.